Hey guys, Martin King, your Process Chiller Pro here. This week is going to be another installment to a series that I'm doing on PLCs, Programmable Logic Controllers. Just face it, they're part of your life. You're going to have them on all kinds of pieces of equipment out there, not just process chillers. It's just going to be more and more pronounced these days. Pretty much all new machines will come up with one of the two types of PLCs on board. So what I want to do in this week's episode is I want to expose you to a troubleshooting technique that is essential in determining what is going on with a PLC. So you're out on a project and you've gone through all your normal checks, refrigeration, you've checked your high voltage components, you found out that, hey, this, this machine is not operating and I believe it's something going on with the PLC. So I'm covering this week the Hopscotch Electrical Diagnostic Method. And it's a mouthful, but hopscotch for short. Now, I did some research, and I could not find where it actually came about. So any of you more astute people out there that understand uh, more history of HVAC refrigeration, if you happen to know where hopscotch actually came from, I'd really like to hear about it. But I've been doing this, as I mentioned, over 30-something years now, and it's been essential for me. Um, and I'm going to share that with you. So you old-timers out there may know hopscotch. I want to cover this because it'll be a really good foundational item as we get into more complicated stuff in the coming weeks in this PLC series. So more so than any other week, uh, it's going to be super helpful to watch this particular episode in video format. As you know, I produce these in both audio and video. So if you're listening to this, I'm going to do my very best to try to paint word pictures for you. And I may fall flat on my face because a lot of the stuff is going to be drawing base and pictures and things like that. But what I'm going to do is try to uh, create a verbal picture. Uh, but if you have any confusion about what I'm trying to talk about here, make sure you set some time aside and go to the processchilleracademy.com site and check out this episode on the hopscotch method. Uh, in the blog section of the website, so you'll be able to see it as well as hear it. Before we get started, I wanted to just do a quick safety announcement. The content that Process Chiller Pro podcast provides is really designed for experienced technicians only. So if any of the tasks that I describe in any one of my videos are making you feel uncomfortable, unsafe, you're not comfortable and know how to be safe with electricity, refrigeration, plumbing, I'd suggest that you stop and find somebody with more experience to supervise you or help you do some of the tasks that I'm describing. I want you to be safe out there, so please don't take any chances that can get you hurt. Hey guys, I have an exciting announcement. We just recently made some updates to our three most popular online courses at processchilleracademy.com. If you're a technician that's looking to improve your skills a little bit, maybe get some specialized training to be of more value to your customers and your employer, or if you are an employer, a contractor that is looking to augment your existing in-house training with online training that can be accessible from any device, this is a really great opportunity. Just go to processchilleracademy.com, just scroll down on the homepage and you will see the course area. If you go into the course page, you will see that we are currently, for a limited time, we have a promo code of Chiller Pro that will save you 25% on any one of these courses. So I hope you check it out and I'm looking forward to seeing you in class. 
So as I touched on in the intro to this episode, I'm going to be taking a jump over to a screencast here in a moment. And my first goal is to help you identify what the heck you're looking at. Now, keep in mind when you're looking at this particular drawing I'm going to show you, this is just one configuration of thousands that you'll see out in the market. But what I'm going to do in this episode is give you enough general guidelines as to what you're looking at that'll help you feel a lot less anxiety when your troubleshooting is narrowed down to on a particular machine to something going on with the PLC. Now once we identify what we're looking at, then we're going to take a jump into the hopscotch electrical diagnostic method that's going to act as a foundation to this entire series on PLCs. In a moment, I'm going to take a jump over to a screencast and the first thing we're going to look at is both a high and low voltage uh, wiring diagram. Now keep in mind that the particular diagram is just one manufacturer out of gazillions of them that are out there. And what I want to do is just get you familiar with the orientation of one particular manufacturer's PLC that I think will give you a really good idea on what the heck you're seeing. Now once I orientate you as to the PLC's operation, the basic components, then we're going to jump into the hopscotch electrical diagnostic method that's going to prove out to be your foundation as we progress through this series on PLCs. So let's take a jump over and let's see these diagrams in action. So the first thing that we're going to take a look at is the high voltage side of the system. Most of our focus in this particular episode is going to be on the control side, but I want to just familiarize you what you're looking at on the high voltage side. So let's look at our screen here. So this is your high side of this particular application. It's a pretty simple circuit, right? This is just a package chiller in particular, but it could be any type of mechanical equipment. You have your three-phase service coming in, line one, two, and three and you're just branching out to different components. So on the far left hand side here, you're gonna have the 24 volt transformer, right? So this is converting 240 volt to 24 volt AC. And then right next to it here is gonna be a 240 volt to 24 volt DC. And this is the power supply for the uh, PLC application, which we'll look at over on the low voltage side. Then you have two pumps. You'll have an evaporator pump or research pump, and you'll have a system pump. So these are powered by, or these are controlled by just basic contactors. So you have uh, three pole, 24 volt coil contactors, and then you have their overloads here. So that's a pretty simple circuit. So the next one up here is the receiver heaters. And what receiver heaters do basically in a process chiller, they're a low ambient uh, utility or low ambient option. And that's that. And then the next one here is our two compressors. And you have compressor one, and then you have compressor one fan motor. It's an air-cooled chiller, of course. And you have compressor two, and you have compressor two's fan motor. And all of these components, the two compressors, that I'm showing here and the fan motors are all also controlled by either three pole in the case of the compressors or two pole contactors which all have 24 volt coils. So that is basically it. This is a very very simple circuit. I picked this one because I didn't want to you know boggle everybody's mind but um, this is your basic high voltage circuit on a PLC controlled in this case a process chiller. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to pop over and spend a bunch of time in the low voltage side and that's where we're really going to get into 
what's happening uh, with a PLC. So what we're looking at now on the screen here is the low voltage drawing for this particular machine. I'm going to explain now what the heck you're looking at here and uh, just bear with me here. The cool thing is if you're checking this out on video, you can rewind as you need to, but let's just jump into this real quick. So on the left hand side is going to be the output from your 24 volt DC power supply. We looked at the high voltage side of that over on the high voltage drawing a moment ago. So that is your DC power supply for your PLC components. And then on the far right hand side is the other power supply, which is 24 volts AC. So you have DC and AC. That's basically how this operates. Now the benefit of this particular design is that you have a PLC that is controlling a series of pilot relays, which I'll show you in a few minutes, that is turning things on and off on the AC side. So I'll show you that. It'll make more sense here as we keep get going here. So this particular chiller, this piece of equipment, is equipped with a human interface or an HMI. So this is a touch screen, and this has a full graphics package on it. And basically you have a 24 volt DC supply to this component. And the only other real connection is a LAN connection that goes down to this next component here. And this entire box here that I'm outlining here with my, with my hand here is a PLC. This is the brains of the outfit. So the PLC is talking to the HMI and basically the HMI or human interface is giving the operator the ability to see what the heck is going on on this PLC. So that's basically it. Now, a lot of PLCs will have both inputs and outputs right on the PLC itself. Some do, some don't. This particular manufacturer, this is a iDEC, and this manufacturer has that. It has both inputs and outputs available on the PLC, but it's also a modular style PLC, which allows you to snap on additional inputs and outputs or I.O. Uh, if you want to expand on that. So in, in this particular uh, PLC is set up like that. So on the left hand side of the actual PLC itself, you'll have a series of inputs. And then on the right hand side of the PLC, you'll have outputs. Now, down below here, as we scroll down, you'll notice there's uh, a lot more going on here. So these inputs up here on the left hand side of the PLC are what we call digital inputs. In other words, they're just on off. They're basically a set of dry contacts that are telling this particular PLC what to do, right? So this particular one, for example, has an evaporator flow switch. So it, the PLC, based on its programming, in order to make it the, the chiller operate in cooling, it needs to see that that particular switch is closed. And we'll get into that in a minute when we start covering hopscotch. It's going to be kind of cool. All right. So these additional cards here are going to be snapped directly onto the PLC. Now, in, and I'll show you in a, in a picture what this actually looks like, but this card will be actually snapped onto this particular PLC right here on the bottom. But in, in schematic view, we have to separate it so we can see where all the wires go and things like that. All right. So the first card is what we call a thermistor card. And what a thermistor is, is it's, and it's a sensor that actually communicates to the PLC temperature. So a thermistor will always give you temperature readings. And in this case, you need a lot of temperature readings to make a refrigeration piece of equipment to operate. Uh, for example, you have ambient, which I'm showing here. You have your chiller fluid return, your chiller leaving 
fluid going out of the chiller. You'll also have some computations that you want the PLC to do. For example, superheat, which is a refrigeration, um, it's a refrigeration reading, which is super important. And then you have subcooling. Uh, so you've got your superheat, subcooling, um, and then it has, uh, the, the, you need basically a total of four sensors to be able to calculate your superheat uh, effectively. So that's, that's basically uh, what you have here. So these are all your temperature inputs. And what these are doing is they are communicating to the PLC what is going on on the temperature side. Now the next card in the stack, what we call the control stack, is going to be your transducer card. And these are both analog inputs. And the difference between a digital and analog is, again, a digital is going to be just a closed or open switch, where an analog is actually giving you data. It's giving you either, in the case of a thermistor, it's giving you a resistance reading. And then in a case of a transducer, which we'll get into more in this series, this PLC series, this is going to be giving you information about pressure. Right? So you need to be able to measure compressor one discharge, what I'm showing here, compressor one suction. That's These are all refrigeration pressures. Your compressor two discharge, so that's going to be pressure coming off your compressor. And compressor two suction, that's going to be your low pressure. So these are all sending data directly to your PLC. Now, all PLCs operate pretty much the same way, guys. So this is where... It's super helpful to, to just kind of get that into your, into your mindset. All PLCs work the same way where they have inputs. In this case, I'm showing you temperature and pressure. And then they have outputs. So the outputs can either be digital, right? So you can have an output that either turns things on and off. Or you can have an output that's also analog, which gives you some type of a signal. And a, and a great example of, of an output, an uh, um, analog output, would be a signal from a PLC ramping up or ramping down a variable frequency drive pump or a fan or something like that. So that's that you'll have digital and analog inputs and you'll have digital and analog outputs. Hopefully that makes sense. All right. So let's talk about that. So the next thing, you, we've talked about the inputs. Now, on board on all PLCs, there is a program. So there'll be a program in there that pretty much manages all the functions. So I'll give you an example of a real basic kind of an idea. So let's say, for example, that you want to have a specific leaving temperature going to your process on this chiller. And I'm just going to pick a number out of the year. Let's say that it is uh, 50 degrees. So you need to have 50 degrees leaving the chiller. And you'll have a differential. So let's say there'll be a call for cooling at 52 degrees. We have a two-degree differential, right? So there'll be a program that's running on this PLC that says, all right, so if my temperature gets to my set point plus my differential, 52 in this example, what I want to do is I want to turn on, this is the programming, I want to turn on some stuff. I want to turn on things to, to make this machine do what it's supposed to do. So what it does, based on the programming, it's going to send output signal, or in this case a digital signal, 24 volts DC to these relays, these pilot relays, and it's going to turn on compressor 1, so it's going to energize this relay. It's going to turn on compressor one hot gas bypass. There's a little time delay, I'm sure. And then you're going to turn on compressor one fan. And that essentially will start your cooling operate. Okay, so it'll, it'll make cooling start to happen. 
And the PLC this whole time is watching this leaving temperature. And as the refrigeration system kicks on, it's going to start to drop and drop and drop until it gets to 50. And then the PLC program says, okay, I'm good. So it's going to go ahead and turn off compressor one, hot gas bypass, compressor one, um, compressor one, compressor, compressor one, hot gas bypass, and compressor one fan off. So that's basically how it works. You've got input, you've got a program that's deciding what to do, and then you have output. That's how it works. Now, there's a bunch of other programs in there, for example, safeties and things like that. But they're all basically that the entire program, its whole job in life is to take inputs from the thermistors, in this case, and the transducers. And it's going to take um, it's it's going to take that data based against the programming, and then the program is going to turn outputs on and off based on the program. That's that's all PLCs work essentially the same way. Are you a contractor or facilities manager, or maybe even an end user that has to use process chillers as part of your business? And maybe you're having some short-term issues like reliability or energy efficiency issues. Or maybe longer term, you're trying to put together a quality maintenance program that makes your machines run more reliably. Well, Process Chiller Academy offers consulting services. And right now, we offer a free 30-minute consultation where you'll talk with one of our engineers and we'll help line you up with the either short-term or long-term solutions to make your equipment run more reliably and keep your processes running. All you have to do is go to the processchilleracademy.com website and you'll see on the home page there's a link for our consulting services and right on that services page you will also see how to schedule your free 30-minute consultation so don't wait check it out and we're looking forward to helping you as soon as we possibly can the next thing we're going to take a look at guys is we're going to look at the hopscotch electrical diagnostic method now as i mentioned earlier it's super important because there's really, in my opinion, there's no other way to actually get to what's going on within a PLC circuit, especially when you're dealing, in this case, you're dealing with two different types of voltages, right? You're dealing with AC and DC voltage on the control side. So what the hopscotch method is all about, and again, I am doing this on screen here. So as I mentioned earlier, yeah, I'm going to try to paint a word picture here as best I can. But if you can check this particular episode out on uh, video, it'll be very helpful because there'll be some really great um, graphics here. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at hopscotch. And the, the bottom line of hopscotch is that you're going to have one probe. And you're going to be looking typically at one voltage at a time, obviously, because you don't want to have to continue to flip your meter back and forth and things like that. And what you're going to do is you're going to place one probe of your multimeter properly set. So, for example, if you're measuring DC, which is what we're going to start with, um, you want to have it set for DC in a proper scale range. In this case, we're, reg we're trying to look at 24 volts. And what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to have one of your probes hang out at one spot, right? So you're basically just going to, going to leave it there. And you're going to jump or hopscotch through the electrical circuit. And you're going to look and see what you're seeing versus what you should be seeing. So I'll give you an example of that. So on this particular PLC, now this, this one, this particular machine has a human interface, an HMI, which I mentioned earlier. Now, typically, if the, this machine's not running, you're going to have some type of an alarm interface that's going to tell you, hey, this is what's up. I'm tripped out on this or I'm tripped out on that. 
So I'm going to make the assumption that we just want to be methodical. We want to go through and learn how to do hopscotch. We're going to cover a lot more in-depth into in, troubleshooting inputs and outputs and things like that in, uh, in, in another episode that are part of the series. I just want to get the mechanics of what hopscotch is all about. What we're going to do first is we're going to look at the DC side. So what I would do is on the left-hand side here, you have a blue wire and you have a red wire. So what I want to do first is I want to use hopscotch to verify that I have the proper voltage going to all of my major components, right? So the way you would do that is you would put your negative, your black lead off your multimeter, again, set for DC voltage in the proper scale, and you're going to go from one to two, right? So you're just going to go from one to two, and you should measure somewhere in the order of 24 volts DC, right? Now, you could potentially have a problem with a wire, right, somewhere along here. So what you want to do is you want to leave your black lead sitting on one here, and you've already verified that you've got voltage, proper voltage coming off your 24 volts DC power supply. You're just going to hop down to other components. So you're going to go leave your black here. You're going to go to the, um, the red terminal on your HMI touchscreen. 24 volts DC, great. Then you're going to go down to other input points here. You want to take a look at the 24 volt power supply on your PLC. So you want to touch your red lead here. And again, you should see 24 volts DC. Now, if you read 19 volts DC, then that would indicate somewhere along this line here, you have a problem with your supply voltage. Kind of rare, but it does happen. And PLCs, if you're out of range on the supply voltage that it expects, the lights will blink and things will happen, but you can get some very funky things that will start to happen with your programming, right? So this is something you need to verify. So further on down here, you've got your cards. Now these cards are going to be in a control stack. They're going to be sandwiched together on this PLC. But what you're going to do is, again, you're going to see on the red terminal here, this card is expecting to see 24 volts DC across these two terminals here. So again, you've got your black lead way up here on the transformer. And you want to go ahead and put your other lead on the red wire here. Again, 24 volts DC is expected. Again, if you have a problem with that and you're not getting enough voltage, that could cause this particular card to malfunction. So that's basically what hopscotch is. Now, let's say, for example, physically you can't get to, maybe that you know this transformer lead is quite a ways away, right? Well, if you've already verified, let's say, that you've got 24 volts down here to your uh, your PLC, you can you can move your black wire to the negative here, right? On your black wire on your probe, and then use that as your reference point to continue on. So you don't have to stay on the power supply. You you know you once you've verified something that's physically a lot closer, then you can move and hopscotch through the circuit that way. So I hope that makes sense, right? So hopscotch basically is going methodically through the major components, and you're checking to make sure that they're all getting the voltage that they're supposed to get, right? So that's that's how that works. Let's pop over here to our AC side. So I mentioned earlier, you know, we have an AC power supply. So this one, you're going to do pretty much the same thing. So let's say, for example, um, 
the PLC is asking the compressor one to operate. Remember I said, let's see the example I gave you. So you've got a 50 degree set point, two degree diff, 52, you get a call for cooling and the PLC is executing its program and it says, boom, I want compressor one, I want hot gas one, and I want fan one. All right. So let's just say, for example, that uh, the compressor and hot gas come on, but the fan does not, right? So obviously, the, on any refrigeration system, if you don't have good condenser cooling, your head pressure is going to go through the roof. Most likely, this thing is going to get shut off by high pressure safety, right? And we're going to cover that more when we get into the I.O. stuff. But let's say we want to use hopscotch math method to determine what the heck's going on on this output, right? So the way this is supposed to work is you have, let's say, red potential, and this red potential is going to each common, so you'll notice this is a three-pole uh, relay. So you have common, which is terminal 11 in the middle, and then you have normally open when the relay is de-energized, and you have normally closed. So what, what they did here is they took the 24-volt AC red potential, and they ran a common line to all the commons on the relays, right? You see, they just put a jumper in there. All right. Now, what's supposed to happen is when the relay closes, so let's stick to our fan here. The PLC says, yep, I want to have fan and it sends 24 volt DC to the coil on this particular relay. And that causes the relay to close, which makes the connection between 11, uh, terminals 11 and 14. And that, of course, sends 24-volt AC to the 24-volt AC contactor, which turns the fan on, right? Does that make sense? So the, and, then, and then when it's time to terminate, it will de-energize this coil. It'll open between 11 and 14 and turn the fan off. That's what it's supposed to do. So let's say in this case, you're repetitively having a problem. Every time you reset it, you get a compressor start, you get a hot gas bypass start, and you have uh, no fan, which causes this machine to fail on high, high head pressure. So even though th these particular relays, we're not showing in here, they'll have a little green indicator light. So when they're, when they're energized, you'll have a green light going off. But let's say, you know, let's say you don't have a relay with that indicator light on there. So what you want to do is you want to verify what's supposed to be happening against what's actually happening. So when you first turn the machine on, you might have to be quick about it. You already know your compressor started because you can hear the compressor running. And you can't really necessarily hear the hot gas bypass running. You may or may not. But you want to hopscotch this sucker and see what's going on. So what you do is you're going to put your uh, change your reading, change your scaling on your multimeter. You're going to flip over to AC now. And what you're going to do is, is camp your red lead, your red, excuse me, your black probe on the um, 24 volt. We'll call this the blue potential, right, on your power supply. And then what you're going to do is while your compressor's running, if you want to, you can actually go over here to turn with your red lead and check number 14. And what you should see there is 24 volts AC, right? Because this switch is closed between 11, so I'm sorry, I went to the wrong one, you, between 11 and 14, right, is closed. So if you put your black terminal on your blue potential on your power supply, 
and you hopscotch over here to terminal 14 and that switch is closed, you should see 24 volts AC. That's how it should work. Now, in this case, let's say, you know, you've, you, you could go right down the list. You can go, um, you, you did your reset, you go from your blue potential to 14 on your compressor. Yep, got, I have 24 volts AC. You go your um, number four blue potential to your hot gas bypass terminal 14 here. Yep, I got 24 volts AC. Then you go from your blue or number four potential to your terminal 14 on your fan and whoops, no voltage right? So that's telling you that it's not, it, potentially it's telling you that it's not closed. So to verify that, you move your probe over here to 11 and you should see 24 volt AC there. So if that proves out that you have it there, that means that what's happening here, this is, even though you know this particular thing should be um, calling, it's not it's not closing. It's not, nothing's happening. So that's why your fan's not running, and that's why you're tripping out on high head pressure, right? So let's take this step one step further. So we'll go back over here to the DC side, and let's take a look at that, right? So this is actually pretty simple because you'll see that you have red potential coming in on your DC side, we'll call this positive, right? Because it's DC. And you'll notice that this red line powers up all these outputs directly on the PLC. It's internally wired that way with the PLC manufacturer. Now, you'll notice that uh, output number six on the output off of the PLC goes to this fan compressor one, fan one relay, right? And they did the same thing on, on the relays on the DC side. They took the negative on the DC and they, they bridged it all over to all the relays. So it's, it's common to all the relays. So when the output comes off the PLC, it goes to terminal A1. And then it should see negative on A2, which will cause that to energize, right? So what we would want to do in this troubleshooting scenario is we want to make sure that we're actually indeed getting signal from the PLC. That'll, that'll allow us to verify that we have a relay problem, right? So what we wanna do is just like we did before, we're gonna camp out our, uh, we're gonna flip back our meter back over to DC in the proper scale. And then we're gonna put the negative, you can do it right here on the PLC itself because we already verified that before. So you put the black on the negative here on the PLC and what you're going to do when you reset your chiller after your high pressure trip happens, you want to go back, reset it, get it running again. And then what you want to do is put your red lead or your positive lead on terminal number six on the PLC output. So that's a hopscotch, right? So you're going from negative here and you're looking for 24 volt DC on this particular output. If you do have that, then you know that the PLC is actually asking, at least at this particular point, it's asking it to run. Now what I would do, just because I'm like that, is I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna verify it here, and then I'm gonna hopscotch it all the way over here to A1, because you could have a bad wire here, right? It's possible. So I'm gonna go negative here to the actual physical location where the PLC is talking directly to the relay at A1. And again, I should have, when I have a call for cooling, I should have 24 volts 
DC on this DC controlled coil, a pilot relay. Now, if I do, if I verified, yes, indeed, I have 24 volt DC here, but I'm not making this connection on the AC side between terminal 11 and 14, then I pretty much, what I've got here is I have a bad relay, right? So that is using hopscotch to uh, do a diagnostic on a real life situation that does happen. So as I promised, I wanna show you a photograph of an actual PLC that you'll see in a piece of equipment. Again, this is a process chiller, but this could be any type of mechanical equipment, if you will. So what you're looking at here, so let me make this, I'm gonna make this image just a little bit bigger here. Okay, so this is what I was trying to explain to you in the, uh, when we we're looking in the schematic view. So this particular piece of equipment has the power supply. So this particular one, this is not the same machine that I was showing you the schematic on a few minutes ago. But this particular machine has a 460 uh, to 24 volt DC power supply. So that's what this is here. You'll notice this should look familiar, right? This, this is your actual PLC here. And this is going to be your... Uh, this is your input side. I hope I'm right about that. This is the output. You'll see these green indicator lights here. That tells you, and that's really helpful, not all PLCs have this, but this will tell you what digital inputs are closed, and it'll also tell you what digital outputs are closed. So as I said earlier, um, if you are having a fan motor not running, for example, um, the light for that particular output, I think it was output six, should be on. So that will at least tell you that the PLC thinks that it should be on, right? So that's helpful. And then what you have here is your two cards. So this is going to be your thermistor card. This is going to be your transducer card. This particular machine is equipped. I think this particular one has a VFD drive on it. This is an analog output card, I believe. And then here's your relays, right? So these are the 24-volt DC coil control pilot relays, right? And I mentioned earlier that this has a little indicator light. So this tells, this will tell the operator that this particular relay is being asked to run or be on. So that is what that looks like. So this is a real live application and this is how you would, you know, you, this is what you would see when you go to Hopscotch and do diagnostics on this particular machine. So I hope that's all helpful to you. I hope you got some really great benefit out of this introduction to Hopscotch. In the next episode, I'm going to be covering inputs, and we're going to particularly be looking at the thermistor inputs for temperature, and we're going to be looking at the transducer inputs for pressure, and I'm going to be showing you guys on how to properly diagnose those. Now, on the thermistor side, it's pretty standard. On If you've got a temperature thermistor, they're usually based on resistance. They're all going to be pretty much the same. You'll have different resistances, obviously, but they're pretty pretty straightforward across the board. Transducers, not so much. Uh, I'm going to be looking at a Johnson Control uh, thermistor, uh, excuse me, transducer, and we're going to be doing some diagnostics on that. But I think you'll get some really great takeaways from that. All right, so let's get to this week's mail segment. By the way, if you want your questions read on the podcast, send me a message, mking at processchilleracademy.com, or send me a message on LinkedIn, 
Make sure you give me your name in town always. And if you don't want the answers read on the show, let me know that too. And I will connect up with you one-on-one and get your question answered. So this week, the question comes from Ralph Mountford. He's from San Antonio, Texas. Hey, Ralph. He wants to know, when I find a bad thermistor on a machine, that's a temperature sensor, do I have to use an OEM part or do I have options? That's a great question. Overall, you can find uh, thermistors in a lot of different places. The big deal, though, is the operating range or the resistance range. That is where you come into a little bit of a challenge because, as I mentioned in this episode, the PLC is looking at specific values on analog inputs. So if you do find a thermistor, you will have to find have you have to find one that has almost identical if possible uh, pressure, excuse me, I'm, I'm getting messed up here. Temperature resistance values. So for example, if it's reading 50 degrees on the sensor on the thermistor, um, the existing thermistor, I'm picking a number from the air, should put out 20,000 ohms, okay? Well, if the replacement that you get puts out 30,000 ohms or you know some other value than that, the PLC's understanding of what temperature is reading is gonna be wrong. And some uh, PLCs, they'll allow you, the, the user, to calibrate. Some won't. We did not. We did not do that. We, we picked a particular, the most common range uh, thermistor we could find. And uh, that is how we did it. We did not put calibration protocols on the touchscreen. We just didn't do it. Anyway, so what I would suggest that you do is there's a, a company called Building Automation Products, or BAPI, B-A-P-I. They are a excellent distributor of these particular uh, components. They're not a sponsor of the show. I just have a lot of personal experience with those guys. They're not the cheapest in town, but you can take a couple of snapshots of temperature readings on operating thermistors, maybe have some other thermistors that are working okay, and you can feed that information to them and they may be able to find you a thermistor that has a comparable operating range. So that would be the best thing to do if you don't want to go back to the manufacturer. The other thing you can try doing is if the particular thermistor happens to have a part number on it, you can Google it. And if that part number is a non-OEM part number, in other words, you get uh, other companies besides the manufacturer of the particular mechanical piece of equipment, you may have a shot there at finding the direct replacement because a lot of manufacturers, they'll purchase those parts from companies, they'll use their original part numbers, and in that case, you're in usually pretty good shape. But in other cases, manufacturers will buy thermistors from other vendors, and because of their volume, they'll require those vendors to put special part numbers on there. So you have to go back to the particular manufacturer of the mechanical equipment to purchase the parts from them. So if you do Google search for the part number and it leads you back to the manufacturer of that machine, you're kind of out of luck other than calling a company like BAPI and seeing if you could do your own homework. Uh, But, you know, you have to kind of judge if it's worth your time. This is a great question. This one comes in from William Banks. He's from Billings, Montana. I've never been to Billings. I'm going to go there one of these days. Anyway, uh, he has specialty equipment. Uh, He doesn't really get into what type of equipment it is, but he says uh, management has has been talking about upgrading the control on these multi-million dollar process machines. Again, I don't know what they are, to PLCs. What's the best way to do this? 
Wow, since I don't know much about what your particular process machine is, I'm assuming that they're very big and they're very expensive. And in those cases, yeah, you know, it's not like you're going to replace those machines with PL with machines that have PLCs. So I'm assuming that's what your case, the case is here. Uh, what I would suggest that you do is get with a developer. And what I mean by developer is there's companies out there that sell hardware, PLC hardwares, many of them they'll have different types. And what you want to do is have those companies or have them come out and look at your process, look at how it's running, look at how the existing controls are controlling those machines. And usually what they can do is they can prescribe the hardware that you need and they can also do the programming as well. Now, that's about as far as I can go with this because I don't know much about your process, but what I would suggest that you do is reach out to me at mking at processtooleracademy.com or LinkedIn. Get with me and I want to know a little bit more about what you're doing. I actually know some amazing developers that can probably help you. So if you'll get back with me when you can and I'd be happy to uh, help you in any way I can on that front. Great question. That's an awesome one. So in this episode's words, terms, and quotes, I'm picking another term that I, I was doing quotes for quite a while, and now we're going to do terms for a bit because uh, I just wanted to change. So this particular episode, we're picking the term analog input. Now, I covered that already in this episode, but I'll just touch on it again. What an analog input is, is an input that has variable values, so a common analog input would be a pressure transducer, which we're going to cover next week. We're going to cover pressure transducers and thermistors next week. But a pressure transducer will take real pressure from a refrigeration system and it will transduce that data into an output signal. And then what we're going to cover next week is it's going to be a 0 to 10 volt DC output value. So I'll, we'll get into that, but it's going to be very interesting. So that is an analog input. That's the definition of that. Well, this episode of the Process Children Pro is a wrap, as they say. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm very much looking forward to developing a relationship with you and seeing if I can help you in your career path as much as I possibly can. I'm looking forward to hearing from you on LinkedIn, where I'm at most of the time. I'm also on all the social networks. You can also send me emails at mking at processchilleracademy.com. And I will see you next week for our next installment of the Process Chiller Pro podcast. You have a great week and go get them out there. I'll talk to you soon.